Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. In just a moment, we are going to read verses 7 through 12. It is good to be back with you after a week away. David did a wonderful job last week, and I, friends, was at Disney World with my family, and so uh, I need a vacation from my vacation. It is good to be back with you in this space as we continue on in our series. So again, like I said, we're going to begin by reading from Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. And if you don't have your Bibles with you at home, no worries. The words will be here on the screen. And we'll begin with these incredible words of Jesus. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. Everyone who knocks will have the door open. Don't you see? Supposing your son asks you for bread, which of you is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, which of you is going to give him a serpent? Well then, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, evil as you are, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you want people to do to you, do just that to them. Yes, this is what the law and the prophets are all about. So I wonder, what do you think is the most famous teaching of Jesus, right? When, when I say the word Jesus, what comes to mind in terms of his teaching? I, I've been asking myself that question for the past couple of weeks as I've been getting ready for this Sunday. And for me, as somebody who really has invested a, a majority of my adult life in trying to follow Jesus and his way in the world, there are so many great teachings, but a few come to mind in particular, right? When, when I think of the greatest teaching of Jesus, I tend to think about the Good Samaritan, where he talks about ultimately who is our neighbor, and he expands the definition. What does it mean to do kindness and mercy and love to those who might not be like us, right? I think about the good Samaritan. I think about the prodigal son, that beautiful teaching of Jesus from Luke's gospel, where Jesus teaches us about a God who is like a father, waiting at the gates of his house for a son who has gone away to come back home, filled with grace and love and kindness. 
I think about the greatest commandment. When that, when that uh, legal teacher comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And after a little bit of banter, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the law and the prophets. That's a great teaching of Jesus. But not just me. I want you to, to give me a little bit of response. What is the greatest teaching of Jesus? I asked a friend of mine who grew up Catholic but has been away from the church for a long time now. I said, hey, buddy, when I say greatest teaching of Jesus, what comes to mind? And it was funny because he very seriously looked at me and he said, Will, the best teaching of Jesus, the most profound one is without question. If you, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. But if you teach a man to fish... He eats for a lifetime. And, and y'all, it kills me because I had to look at my friend and he was actually stunned when I said Jesus didn't teach that. That that isn't Jesus. I think it's like Ben Franklin or somebody like that. It isn't Jesus. And so some of us have major misconceptions about the greatest teaching of Jesus. But I, I would argue and I, I think many of you would agree with me that if you survey the whole landscape of Jesus and all of the incredible things that he taught as the master teacher, the one that would stick out above and beyond anything else is this one, the golden rule from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the whole of the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Eugene Peterson says something in the message, the equivalent of that which is good, go and do that for other people. That which is good for you, go and do that to other people. And friends, that I think might be the greatest teaching of Jesus in all of his stuff. It is good, it is rich, it is powerful. It's known as the golden rule. Interestingly, not until the 18th century was that first used as a title for this teaching. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the whole of the law and the prophets. You know, what's really fascinating about this teaching of Jesus is that he isn't the first one to teach something almost exactly like this. In the decade prior, the two decades prior to the time of Jesus, when he would have been walking around the Galilee and Jerusalem, in the two decades prior to that, there were actually two prominent rabbis. Their names were Hillel and Shammai. And they not only were prominent rabbis, but they had schools and teams of disciples, much like Jesus, who had disciples that followed him around. Hillel and Shammai had disciples. And they had schools that built around their interpretation of the Torah. And, and there's this book known, that we call the Babylonian Talmud. It's, it's, it's rabbinic teaching. And in the Babylonian Talmud, there's a story about Hillel and Shammai. And the story goes that there was a Roman citizen who, who came to Shammai one day. And he said, Rabbi Shammai, uh, I, I've got a proposition for you. Teach, I will become a Jew. I will become a proselyte under one condition. Teach me the whole of the Torah while I stand on one foot. If you can do that, then I'll become Jewish. 
And the story says that Shammai was so enraged at this Roman citizen that he picked up an instrument, a builder's instrument, and chased him off, swinging it violently at him because he was so offended that this guy would make such a request. Well, the Roman citizen continues on down the road and he sees Hillel. He goes to the house of Hillel and he says, Hillel, I've got a request I will become a proselyte. I will become a Jew under one condition. Teach me the whole of the Torah while I stand on one foot. And in this incredible story in the Babylonian Talmud, Hillel looks at this Roman citizen and he says, what is hateful to you? Don't do that to other people. (laughs) That is the whole of the Torah. The rest is just commentary on it. So go and learn. What what is hateful to you, don't do that to your neighbor. That's the whole of the Torah. And the rest is commentary on it. So go and learn. Isn't that a beautiful story? Hillel, this incredible Jewish, Jewish rabbi, this sage, this teacher, says almost exactly the same thing that Jesus does. And I love that. That Jesus finds himself within the tradition of Judaism that is rich and filled with this incredible teaching about who is God and who are we. And Jesus slightly shifts the focus. And he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, if you're anything like me, when I hear that story, whether it is out of the lips of Hillel or off the lips of Jesus, our master teacher, the one we worship as the Christ, when I hear that teaching from Jesus, my gut reaction, like my gut impulse, and I think you would agree with me, is yeah, that is easier said than done. Because it is one thing to say, I will treat my neighbor in the same way I want to be treated. And it is completely something different to actually do it. Now, I think we would all agree that what Jesus is intending here is to say that we will treat other people, our neighbor, who is everyone, we will treat them with generosity, with kindness, with grace and compassion, with a love for another human being, because that is how we want to be treated. I think that is a universal uh, agreed upon definition of what Jesus is intending. And it is one thing to say that, and I think most of us are probably thinking, but it is something completely different to do it. And one of the things that we have to consider, one of the things that we really need to ask ourselves is how? How do we live this teaching of Hillel out? How do we live this teaching of Jesus, most importantly, out in our daily existence? And friends, this is one of those moments where we have to stop And we have to remember something incredibly important that I've been saying from week one of this sermon series, that the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is connected. These are not separate fortune cookie sayings, but there's a narrative flow in what Jesus is teaching. And I am convinced, and I believe that you will be as well, that Jesus actually in the section before Matthew 7, 12, gives us what we need, teaches us, in fact, not only what we should do, but then how are we supposed to do it? 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How are we supposed to do that? And the good news for us is that Jesus, as he always does, not only gives us a beautiful way to follow in the world, but then he gives us practical ways to implement this into our life. And I am convinced that in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, that just before Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he gives us the key to understanding how to live that out. And I think what Jesus, I am convinced what Jesus is trying to say to us in this section is that before you can do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the first and foremost thing you have to ask, the essential question that you have to wrestle with, who is God. Who is God and how does God relate to human beings? Because if we can answer that question, if we can come to grips with ultimately what is the biggest question of all, then and only then will we be equipped and prepared to live out Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Friends, I'm convinced the first and essential question to living out this way in the world, who is God? Who is God? And how does God relate to human beings? Because here is something that I am convinced of. How you picture God how you picture God will ultimately shape how you see the world. How you picture God will shape how you see the world and connected to that intimately is this. And it is a fact, friends. How you see God will shape how you see other people. And how you see God will ultimately, friends, listen to me, shape how you treat other people as well. And Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, gives us insight, profound insight, into those two questions. Who is God, and how does God relate to us? I've already read to you what he said. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and the door will be opened. Because he who seeks finds, and he who searches will find. He who knocks, the door will be opened. And then Jesus goes in to this incredible second section where he says, which of you, if your son asks you for a piece of bread, would give him a stone? Which of you, if your son asks you for a fish, would give him a snake? And if you evil as you are, want to give good gifts to your children, then how much more does your heavenly Father want to give good things to you? You see, that one little section of Jesus' teaching prepares us to launch into a relationship with other human beings because the first and fundamental thing we have to understand and yes, Jesus teaches it in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, but what I'm about to tell you is consistent throughout the whole of the story of Jesus, time and time again, from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, and exactly right here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus wants us to be crystal clear on one incredibly important fact, that according to Jesus, God is a loving father 
who wants to be in deep relationship with his children. According to Jesus, and friends, you have to get this because far too often in churches, we get this essential component wrong. And if you get this wrong, you'll get nothing else right. That according to Jesus, God is a loving father who wants to be in deep relationship with his children. God wants to know the desires of your heart. God wants to know the things that are weighing on your soul. God wants to know the places where you're experiencing joy, and God wants to know the places where you are broken. If you can understand the nature and the essence of who God is, then you will be prepared to treat others as you want to be treated. And God, my friends, according to Jesus, time and time again, according to Paul, according to James, according to Peter, according to 2,000 years of our history, God, I don't care what you have heard from other places, God is a loving Father who wants to give good gifts to those who love him. Now, we've got to stop for a minute because this is one of those sections of Scripture that really, I think, has been so radically misinterpreted. This is one of those sections of Scripture where Jesus says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. It has been twisted and perverted and made to say things that, honest to goodness, Jesus never intended. And Jesus would be mortified, is mortified at what we have done with this section of Matthew chapter 7. (laughs) Any of you baby boomers? I know we got some baby boomers watching online watching on television this morning. Uh, when, when I show you this picture, you know exactly who it is, don't you? For those of us that maybe are millennials, a little bit younger, or maybe a little bit older, greatest generation you're watching, you might not know that is Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, who her most famous song, Me and Bobby McGee, a life cut short by drugs and alcohol, a talented artist, right? But my favorite song from... Uh, from her is a song called Mercedes Benz. And, And in that voice that only Janice could have, she says, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches and I must make amends. And the song's short, it's only about a minute and a half. Go look it up on YouTube. And what is funny to me is at the end of the song, Janice bursts out into laughter in many of the recordings. But listen, friends, while Janice understood that was a distortion of the nature of God, there are lots of so-called churches, even in our very own city. And I don't care what city you are in, there is a church that is teaching this morning that God is basically a cosmic genie who wants to give you everything that you ask for. And so there are people being taught this morning, and maybe you're watching online and you have been taught this before, that God wants you to have the coach bag, that God wants you to have the the Porsche, that God wants you to have the Mercedes Benz, that God and his ultimate desire is to give you what you want. But what I would say to you, is that there's a profound and significant difference between asking God 
for the things of the kingdom and asking God for the selfish desires of our heart. And, and James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter to Christians, to the church, he, he actually talks about this and he says, you don't get the things that you're praying for. You're asking God and he's not giving you those things because you're asking for all the wrong stuff. You're asking for the selfishness of your own desires and the selfishness of your own heart to be fulfilled and you're not seeking the kingdom of God. And we distort this teaching of Jesus and turn God into a cosmic genie rather than a loving father. And friends, that is wrong. But the other thing I would say to you is that there are in fact a lot of churches and I, and I was taught this at one point in my life as well that God is so big and so grand and so massive that God doesn't have time for the concerns of our heart. That God doesn't have time for the pain we are experiencing because maybe we've lost a job that we've loved. I was taught, for example, that God has far more to care about than the simple daily anxieties that you and I both experience. And if you were taught that as well, I want you to know that's a lie. I want you to know that isn't true. Jesus teaches us that God is the loving Father who wants to be in relationship with us. God is the one who breathed the breath of life into you. God is the one who knows the number of hairs on your head. God is the one who opens his arms to each and every one of us and embraces us like a father does his children. You see, God wants to be in deep relationship with each and every one of us. And until we can understand the nature of who God is and how God relates to us, until we can answer this fundamental question of Matthew chapter 7, then we will never be able to live out this teaching, this invitation to do unto others as they would do unto us. I, I was listening to a, a preacher not that long ago, somebody that I deeply love and respect, and, and he said something that I've heard a number of times over the years, and it is something that I think is absolutely true, and we have to get this right. It is key to not only living out Matthew seven twelve, but it is key to living a life of joy and hope and peace. It is key to living within the flow of the kingdom, to use the words of Dallas Willard. And this preacher, in one of his sermons not that long ago, issued this profound and provocative statement where he says this, that your relationship vertically directly shapes your relationships horizontally. That your relationship vertically with God will directly shape your relationships on the horizontal plane with other human beings. And that if you view God as a genie that wants to give you all the things you ask for, then ultimately, and I've seen this to be true, then you will view other human beings as a means to an end. If God is that which we use to get what we want, then we will begin to see other human beings in exactly the same light. 
and we will use them to enrich our own pockets. We will use them to enhance our own reputation. We will use them to get what we want, and then we will leave them to the side. Your relationship vertically directly shapes your relationships horizontally. You see, if you view God as angry, if you view God as a cosmic bully who is waiting to throw down the lightning bolts, who is waiting according to the book of Revelation to bring down the thunder and the lightning, which ultimately is a beautiful thing that we have twisted out of context. If you believe that God is angry and vengeful, then that's how you will interact with other human beings. That's how you will interact with your neighbor. That's how you will interact with your coworker. That's how you will interact with your children. The fastest growing religious population in the United States, people 40 and under, without question, is none. People who have no religious faith at all. And friends, I hate to say this to you, but I believe it to be true. That part of the reason that population is growing so rapidly in our country is because they have been brought up by parents that taught them God is angry and God is vengeful and they beat their kids with the Bible. And they told them that they were going to go to hell if they didn't do and say and act certain ways. And that, friends, is a caricature, according to Jesus, of who God is and what God wants. You see, if you view God as angry, then you will see other people as angry. If you view God as vengeful, then you yourself will become vengeful because your relationship vertically directly shapes your, in, your relationships horizontally. And that, that simple statement is why we have to understand the whole of this section of the Sermon on the Mount because if we know who God is, a loving father who wants to give to us, a loving father who walks with us. If we understand that God is the one who is with us, who is for us, who is ahead of us, leading us into a future, according to Paul, that is better than anything we could ever ask or imagine. If that is who God is, well then friends, the doors are wide open our arms are wide open. Our hearts are wide open to see other people with grace and with generosity and with kindness do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And according to Jesus, we have to begin by understanding who God is and how God sees us. Now, what is absolutely fascinating, friends, is that this isn't all sunshine and rainbows, right? This section of Jesus' teachings, if you were listening to me as I was reading from the beginning, it isn't all positive and happy. Because if you were listening, you would have heard that Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? And in that culture, remember, bread looked like stones. Which of you? If your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone. Which of you, if your son asks you for fish, would give him a snake? And then he says this. It's not all sunshine and rainbows because Jesus then says this. If you, evil as you are, 
want to give your children good gifts? And how much more does your heavenly father want to give to his children? Now you got to remember, Jesus in this section is talking to the disciples. That's his primary audience in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to everyone, but Jesus is talking to people who are following him. And how does he describe them? How does he describe us? The translation could be evil. The translation could be bad. You see, Jesus understands that sin is a constant reality in the life of the disciples, in the life of each and every one of you watching online or on television. Brokenness and sin is a reality in my own heart as well. And Jesus makes no bones about the fact of pointing out that we, friends, are broken. That we, friends, do things every single day that are counter and contrary to the goodness of God. And if you were willing to just take two seconds and be honest with yourself, you would agree that Jesus is telling the truth. And that can be a hard word to hear. You see, Jesus is incredibly realistic about the brokenness in our own hearts. But that's what makes this section so much more beautiful. That yes, Jesus recognizes our brokenness and our sin, But then he goes on to say, and even still, even yet, in spite of your brokenness, in spite of the ways you mess it up every single day in ways big and in ways small, in spite of your brokenness, evil, wicked, broken as you are, how much more does God want to give his good gifts to you? How much more does God want to give his good gifts to me? And that's it, friends. That's the whole of the gospel. That's the whole of the good news. That in spite of our brokenness, God still loves us. That in spite of the ways we muck it up every single day, God is still with us, providing for our daily needs, walking in relationship as a father does with a son or a daughter. Guys, that is the power of God to recognize the ways we have fallen short And yet to know God still loves us enough to send his son Jesus, enough for Jesus to die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day, friends. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand who we are. We are broken, but the good news is that he is love and he is with us every step of the way. And friends, listen to me when you understand that fact. When you understand that one central fact and you let it sink deep down into the depths of your bones, then listen to me, your life can be revolutionized and your heart can be made right. And when we understand properly who God is, then, friends, we can hear those words of Jesus in a new light. Because in spite of our brokenness, 
God loves us. And in spite of the brokenness of our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our spouse, in spite of the brokenness of our children, and I could go on and on, if God loves us, then we can love them. And knowing who God is, we are freed to do unto others as they would do unto us. We are free to do unto others as God has done unto us. Showering grace, raining down love, inviting us to the path of goodness. And some of you are watching online this morning and you haven't stepped foot in a, in a church for like a decade. Some of you are watching on television and you have written off Jesus a long, long time ago. And I want to invite you today to just take a few moments and ask yourself one central question. How do you see God? And for some of you, you've been taught a lie. For some of you, you've been taught a caricature. And I want you to see God today as Jesus does, a loving father. Because when you do, friends, your life can be changed. How do you see God. And for those of us who follow Jesus, the answer is simple. God is love. And because God is love, we can do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And that, my friends, is really good news. Let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful we're grateful for another morning where we can worship you, where we can celebrate you. And God, this morning, I want to pray for someone who's watching online, God, and they have been taught a lie about you. They have been told that you are angry and vengeful and wrathful. And God, help them to see today that that couldn't be further from the truth. God, open their eyes to the ways of Jesus and help them to know that you love them in spite of their brokenness in spite of their failings and their aptitude to continually mess it up. God, you love them. And as you love us, so we are called to love each other. So God, may you transform our hearts. Help us to see who you are so that we can in turn go and share this good news with the world. Lord, continue to be with us as we worship you. Continue to work in our hearts, even in this very moment. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. This is our prayer, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.